0: If you've been with us over the last four or five weeks, we're in this, uh, sermon series called Messy. And we're looking at different messy aspects of our faith, how trying to walk the Christian walk, how to follow Jesus, um, is, it's not straightforward. It can be messy. It can be tricky. We have, uh, stops and starts and stumbles and pick ourselves up. Um, so we're looking at various aspects of how our walk of faith can be messy. And what we're going to be doing over the next couple of weeks now is, is looking at how loving others can be messy. How do, I, how do I love my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And you know, sometimes it's hard enough to love the people we like, right? But you know, as followers of Jesus, we're not just called to love those we like. And we just read there the very closing uh, command there was love, the, love your neighbor as yourself. And many of us Probably, perhaps, before reading that verse, might have thought that that um, originated with Jesus, okay? And I guess in one day, wait, did because Jesus is part of the uh, is the second person in the eternal God who gave us the scriptures. But we can trace it all the way back to Leviticus, that love your neighbor as yourself it traces its way all the way back to the Old Testament to the to the law of Moses. So what I want to do this morning is is briefly take us through that passage that we just read. We're going to very quickly. Go through each of those, of those commands. And then we're going to get into this question of what um, loving your neighbor looks like. So if we look at verses 11 to 18 as a whole, what we get here are a set of imperatives that gave the Israelites, and they also give us today, a framework for how to live, how to relate to one another. At Leviticus 19, it's been called the highest development of ethics in the Old Testament. And it's crazy when you think about it. It's crazy to think, how different would our society be today if we actually lived by and followed those commands in everyday life that we just read? Verse 11, for example, three very simple, obvious commands for a functioning society. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not deceive one another. Do not steal. If it doesn't belong to you, do not take it or claim you have a right to take it. Do not lie and deceive one another. You know, one of the reasons that there's so much division in our country right now is because of the amount of, of misinformation and disinformation. We don't know who to believe anymore, do we? Truth has been has been whittled away because of the lies and deceptions out there. I was, um, you remember that Jim Carrey movie, Liar, Liar? And the premise of the movie is he can't tell a lie. He can only tell the truth. And, you know, sometimes I think, imagine if we lived in a world where none of us could lie. I said, that might not be a great world all the time. <laughs> but verses 12 and 13, they're also connected to the same theme of dishonesty, right? Do not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of God. I am the Lord. Do not defraud or rob your neighbor. Do not hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight. In other words, just, just be honest, folks. Tell the truth. It was Mark Twain who said, if you tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything. Right? You don't have to remember an alibi. Or, oh, uh, wait, which story am I telling today? Now, if you tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything. And it's, it's interesting that you know, dishonesty and lies are often tied to greed, aren't they? People lie because they're, they're greedy. The love of money, the love of, of power. It's why corporations, institutions, governments, they often lie to make money and to retain power. In verse 14, it speaks about how we should treat those with disabilities. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear your God. I am the Lord. You know, the writer there, they're using the blind and the deaf as a sort of a catch-all for people who uh, suffer from some kind of disability. And that command back then was radical. Radical. That was revolutionary. I mean, it should be a no-brainer for most of us today. You don't treat somebody differently because they have some kind of disability. But back then, that was revolutionary because if you you had a, a body impairment or something like that, you were just, you were left on your own. You were cast out of society. But here, we're saying, no, we have to care for these people and treat them equally. Verse 15 shows us how true justice, godly justice, should be completely impartial justice should be impartial it should show favoritism or give preferential treatment to no one no one says do not pervert justice do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great but judge your neighbor fairly Notice the neighbor there is can be a poor person, it can be a rich person, it can be from any kind of background at all. And you know, often, let's be honest, in our society today, we do see preferential treatment often given to the rich, to the powerful, to the elites in society. Often they're able to buy their way out of, out of justice, out of charges, right? But we're also seeing it work in another way where the poor and the marginalized can sometimes be given preferential treatment in the name of equity. But what this makes clear here in leviticus is that justice should be completely impartial it doesn't matter what your standing in in life is or what your ethnicity or anything like that justice should be completely equal and impartial in fact to act otherwise as the scripture says here is to bev- pervert justice as we move into verses 16 to 18, they're all connected to attitudes and motives of the heart. What's going on in here? What's going on up here in your thought life and in your heart? It says, do not go around spreading slander among your people. That's so applicable for church life as well. Don't go around spreading slander and gossip. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Right? There's no room for hate In our lives. Rebuke your your neighbour frankly. So you will not share in their guilt. So if you see a brother or sister. Going down a path. That is not good. And you know it is not. Then be a good friend. Talk to them about it. Do not seek revenge. Or bear a grudge against anyone among your people. But love your neighbour as yourself. I am the Lord. That last imperative there. But love your neighbor is yourself. It's the only positive command in that passage we read. Okay, All the rest are framed in the negative. Do not, do not, do not. Right? Do not take revenge. Do not bear a grudge. But essentially the last imperative here is do love your neighbor as yourself. Now, there's something about that particular command, to love your neighbor as yourself, that's very important. It's not quite like the other commands that we just read. And um, uh, in Matthew 22, Jesus is asked by the Jewish religious leaders. They ask him, what's the greatest commandment? And they're not asking it because they're genuinely interested. They're asking it because they're trying to trick Jesus. They want to trip him up. But listen to what Jesus says when he's asked, what's the greatest commandment in the law? He says this, is Matthew 22:37 37, and follow him. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these commandments. So notice that the the very first and most important commandment that we are all to follow is to love God with everything you've got. that is the first and most important commandment. That should be the focus and the priority in our life is to love God with everything we've got and with every part of our life. But then coming in a close second is loving your neighbour as yourself. In fact, Jesus says when you combine these two together, loving God and loving your neighbour, that basically covers all of the other laws. If you get these two right, everything else will fall into place. So as followers of Jesus, loving our neighbors as ourselves it's not optional. It's essential. Now let's raise these two questions. Who is my neighbor? And then secondly, a question many people ask is, if we are called to love our neighbor as ourselves, how do you do that if you don't love yourself? You ever asked yourself that question when you've seen that command, love your neighbor as yourself? And I've had the feeling myself sometimes, but what if you don't love yourself? How how are you supposed to love somebody else? Well, I want to focus on that second question today. How do I love my neighbor as myself if I don't really love myself? Do you love yourself? Do you even like yourself? Maybe on Tuesdays. <laughs> you know, one of the, the negative impacts of, of social media is that it, it has put self-comparison on steroids, right? We all, all of us, we have a predisposition to compare ourselves to others. That is part of being human, okay? We, we can't help it. Some, some are better and some are worse, right? But we all, to some degree, we compare ourselves with others, right? But on social media, it's magnified at a thousand percent, Because you can compare yourself to other, but then you can zoom in and blow it up and take a real good look, right? And we we start hearing things in our mind, don't we? Like, I'm not pretty enough. I'm not good looking enough. Not smart enough. Not accomplished enough. Not skinny enough. Not popular enough. I'm not rich enough. I'm not successful enough. I'm not productive enough. These are the messages that the world And social media constantly feeds you. You know why? Because as long as you are dissatisfied, you'll keep buying. You'll keep buying the next greatest and latest self-help book. You'll keep buying the next anti-wrinkling cream to see if this one works. You'll keep buying the next fad to see if it brings you the happiness you thought it was. You'll keep buying the latest car to come out. You'll keep buying the new iPhone that's come out with barely any change at all but it's the next one. Well, has enhanced camera capacities. Okay. We keep trying to buy our way to happiness and contentment and self-confidence. And it's because we're looking to the world for the answers that only God can give us. You know, one of the ways the world tells us how to combat these negative emotions is through what has been termed self-love. Are you familiar with that term, self-love? There's a whole giant industry out there that predicates itself on the message that we need to love and accept ourselves just the way we are, warts and all. And how are you supposed to love others if you can't love yourself? This message likes to tell us that true confidence and true security and happiness comes from loving yourself. But is that true? Is it biblical? Well, to answer that, I want to do two things. The first is to point out an uncomfortable truth. And the second is to show how that uncomfortable truth is based on misquoting and misunderstanding of Scripture. Okay, so who's ready to feel a little uncomfortable right now? Yeah? Or at least a little perplexed. I know it's why you come on Sundays. I'm going to get your weekly dose of discomfort. <laughs> you know, uh, if you have a dog or you've seen dogs, right? You know when you're talking to a dog, because uh, we all talk to dogs, and uh, perhaps you're, you're offering them a treat or, or, or you can take them out on a walk, right? And, you, and you're sort of like, treat, treat. And they kind of do this thing with their head, don't they? Where they go. Right? <laughs> <Look>. <laughs> you just flop about, you know. Um, well, what I'm about to say is uncomfortable truth. It may make a few of you go, here's the uncomfortable truth. You can't love yourself. You can't love yourself. There's no such thing as self-love. Self-care, Yes. Self-esteem, yes. Self-worth, yes. Self-confidence, yes. Self-love, no. Not really. Now, before you storm out of the church, let me qualify what I'm trying to say here because to understand what I'm trying to get at here is you have to understand the true nature of love. Oliver Harrison, he's he's a vicar in the UK, He put it like this, he says, love requires more than one person. One to love and one to be loved. Love flows between people, it's plural. Two or more, love by definition requires a lover and a beloved, a subject and an object, a giver and a receiver. You can no more love yourself than you can lift yourself up in the pews you're sitting in. Love in yourself is impossible in the true sense, but exists in a kind of counterfeit copy of genuine interpersonal love. Now, I don't want you to take away from that, that we are not to try and develop self-confidence and positivity about ourselves. That's not what I'm trying to say at all. But if you see there, the term self-love, it's a bit of a misnomer. Because there needs to be at least two parties. There needs to be a relationship. It's why the statement that we find in the Bible, God is love, is only possible if God is more than one person. You ever thought about that? Why is our God triune? Because if God was just one rather than Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you couldn't have true love. But with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there is this perfect triune love. That flows between the three of them. And that's why we can say with all confidence, God is love. But you can't be in love with yourself. Right? That's actually closer to narcissism, isn't it? Right? I mean, think about the concept of loving yourself. And think of it in this, in, in terms that you might say to somebody else that you love. Okay, What have you ever said to somebody, you know, I love you so much. Have you said that to somebody? I hope you have. I love you so much. Well, imagine turning into self love. I love me so much. I'd do anything for you. I'd do anything for me. There's nothing and no one more important in my life than me. Everything I do is for me. You see how that, it doesn't work, does it? It doesn't work. It, it sounds weird. It sounds arrogant. It sounds narcissistic, doesn't it? Right? Let's take something Jesus said, just to prove this point a little further. Jesus in John 15, 13, he said this, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. So if according to Jesus, laying down your life for a friend is the greatest expression of love, and presumably you're laying down your life to save their life, and Jesus says, there's no greater love than that. But we can't really do that for ourselves, can we? I love me so much I would die for me. It doesn't work. There's nothing loving about that. And you know, here's the thing. it's funny when you think about it right the bible actually speaks negatively about this concept of self-love listen to second timothy chapter three verses one to two it says but mark this there will be terrible times in the last days people will be lovers of themselves Self-love is not real love. It's actually confused more today with, with self-affirmation and self-positivity. And again, those aren't bad things. But self-love is not real love. And here's the thing, when you come to an understanding of that truth, that self-love is not real love, it will take a crushing weight off your shoulders. A crushing weight, which is telling you that the only way you will be happy and content in life and the only way you will be able to love anyone else is only if you love yourself first. You see the lie there? That's fed to us by the present day narrative. The lie is that your worth and your value come from within you. (coughs) Only you can unlock the key to true happiness and contentment. You have to look inside yourself. Only you know the truth. Only you have the key. Let me tell you something. That mindset will turn you into a self-centric, self-obsessed, self-absorbed ball of anxiety. You will constantly be looking inwards. What, what are people thinking about me? When I, when I said that thing the other day, did they take it the wrong way? And I wonder how I looked. I wonder how my hair is today. You know, It will turn you into a ball of anxiety that is constantly focused inwards instead of outwards on others. Here's the real truth. The real truth is that's my daughter crying. (laughs) Love that girl. Here's the real truth. You are, we are all of infinite worth. And of infinite value. But it's not because of who we say we are. But because of who God says you are. You understand that? Your value and your worth. It doesn't come from who you say you are. It comes from who God says you are. It doesn't come from thinking positive thoughts about ourselves. That might help boost your mood. And make you feel better about yourself. Or at least temporarily. But our worth and our value come from the God who created us. And loves us so much that he died in our place. And I'll come back to that. But how did we get to this place of believing that we can't love others unless we love ourselves first? Well, it comes down to my second point I mentioned earlier, which is that the uncomfortable truth that self-love is a misnomer is based on a misquoting and a misunderstanding of scripture. People do this Surprisingly often, actually, misquote scripture, right? Probably the most, the classic example is this one. Um, Money is the root of all evil. You ever heard people say that? Perhaps you you think that's the verse. That's not what the verse says. The verse says the love of money can be the root of many kinds of evil. But we often misquote scriptures. And I want to take you back to Leviticus 19, verse 18 for a moment. And let's look again at the second half of that verse says, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, here's how people misquote that verse. Read that verse and I'm going to tell you what people say. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. You spot the difference? Love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's what people will say. But you see what they've done? They put an extra love in there. And that must seem like a small thing. But it actually makes a big difference to the meaning of the verse. Because the verse says it will love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, love others as you would want to be loved. It's what we often know as the golden rule. Treat others as you would want to be treated. Or as Jesus says in Matthew 7 verse 12. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Oh, isn't that interesting? See how Jesus says that again? Kind of proves our point here. Now that changes the equation. When we think of understanding that command that way. Because you might not be being loved the way you want to be loved right now. You might not be being treated the way That you would like to be treated right now. But that doesn't mean you don't know how you would like to be treated. Or that you don't know how you would like to be loved. So what Leviticus 19, 18 shows us, and that Jesus affirms, and actually so does Paul, is that the way we love our neighbour is by treating them the way we'd like to be treated. Whether we are treated that way or not. isn't the same as looking in the mirror and giving yourself affirmations, but it does assume that we know how we want to be cared for. And you know what? You might be sitting here this morning and you might feel like that you don't love yourself or you don't have a high sense of of self-worth, but you do know how you would like to be treated and how you would like to be loved. So again, that changes the equation because now loving others, loving Our neighbor is not contingent on loving yourself. We can't use others as an excuse to not love others. Well, I don't love myself, so how am I supposed to love anybody else? We can't use that excuse. So back to the self-love thing. To love our neighbor well, we don't need to love ourselves, but we do need to know we are loved big difference. We don't need to love ourselves, but we do need to know we are loved and we need to know that we're loved by God. That's where our whole self-worth, where our intrinsic value and dignity come from. It's from knowing that we are created in the image of God and loved by God. Do you believe that God loves you? I mean, really loves you. Do you believe that? Do you know? Because you don't have to believe. There's a way that we can know that God loves us. Remember that verse I brought you to in, in John 15, verse 13, where Jesus said, Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. Well, that, that wasn't just cheap talk for Jesus. He actually walked the talk and he laid down and he gave his life for us so that we might live. In fact, he went a step further. Listen to Romans chapter five, verses six to eight. Paul writes, you see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. That's you and me. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So God, he didn't wait around for us to get our act together before he laid down his life for us. He saw that we were all helpless. He saw that we were all trapped in our sin. He saw that we were separated from God and that the only way to bring us back to God was that there had to be a price paid for the sin of the world, for the sin in us. And he, Jesus, was the only one who could do it. So he laid down his life for us as the ultimate act of love. For you, for me, for your brothers and your sisters, for your mother and your father, for your relatives, your friends, your colleagues at work, for everyone. He laid down his life for those who would accept him. And that's how we can know that God loves us. He did that for you and he did it for me. Now the question is, if you've not embraced that truth, maybe today is the day to embrace the truth that God loves you and he died for you so that you would not have to be separated from him. It's only when we start to see God for who he really is that we are able to see ourselves for who we actually are. And that's what empowers us to love our neighbors as ourselves, knowing who we are in God. God tells us to love our neighbors as ourselves. So the question now becomes who is my neighbor? And to find the answer to that, you'll need to come back next week. Let's pray.